If you grew up in the Midwest, uh, especially, uh, harvesting happened, okay? It happens around this time of the year, uh, especially with the corn crop. But you see, harvesting was a far more difficult task before Cyrus McCormick invented the mechanical reaper. Even laboring for long, long hours, farmhands using sickles could harvest no more than one acre per person per day. I can't imagine that. One acre per person per day. So when Cyrus McCormick redesigned his father's defective prototype and presented the world with the first mechanical reaper, he revolutionized farming worldwide as we knew it. The new machines could harvest more in one hour than one worker could do in a whole day. But one fact remained the same. One fact remained the same, however. Whether we use sickles or we use McCormick's invention, farmers could reap only what they had sowed. And with this, we have introduced the theme of today's passage. As you can see in your bulletin and your notes, that of sowing and reaping. So that's what I'm going to go with today. I'm going to talk about sowing and reaping in four different ways. Paul first speaks of the importance of sowing and reaping by telling us to share all good things with those who teach. Here's what it says. Galatians 6, 6 says this. Let him who is taught the word share. Now that word share is what we call a present active imperative. And I'll get to that in a second. But it's a present active imperative. But what does it say? It says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. So now you're wondering, what is a present active imperative? Well, they're commands that are expected to be followed not once, but as an ongoing process. That's what it's saying here. Share in all good things as a habitual habit. So when we talk about sharing, sowing and reaping today, the first thing I want you to write down is to share in all good things. Now, this verse serves a dual purpose and provides a transition from what Jeremy preached to what I'm about to preach. Okay, it provides an example of bearing one another's burdens, which was one of the themes that Jeremy preached last Sunday. That's verses 1 through 5. But it also provides an example of what we will talk about later, and that's sowing to the Spirit, which Paul takes up in verse 7. But in verse 6, the focus here is clearly on the relationship of the members of the body with those who teach them the word of God. Paul, as I've already said, uses the present tense of the verb that we know so well, koinonia, right? Fellowship. 
when he commands one who is taught to share in all good things with the one who teaches him. In this way, he stresses the ongoing duty of those who are taught to those who teach them. But when I read that, what does Paul precisely mean when he says to share in all good things? Well, as I looked up in a bunch of commentators, okay, most of them think it's a reference to financial provision for pastor teachers. And as I will share with you in the next few minutes, it indeed is. But I don't want us to be just left with that. Yes, it can be as we will see in the Bible, especially in the teaching of Paul and Christ, that it's talking about financial provision for pastor teachers. Now, let me give you some examples. Remember Luke 10, 7. That's when he's sending out the 70 missionaries. Jesus gave those 70 missionaries these instructions. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking. Here it is. For the laborer deserves his rages. Do not go from house to house. Paul, when writing to the Corinthians about that same issue, Paul had Jesus teaching in mind in 1 Corinthians 9, 11 through 14. And here's what it says. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap you material things? You know, my favorite rhetorical question. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know? Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offering of the altar? And here's the key to this verse. Even so, even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Then one more, Paul addressed this in 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 when he talked about pay for the elders, okay? And I'm not begging for pay, okay? Let me just make that plain, okay? And this is what he said. Let the elders who rule well, here it is, be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in word and doctrine. And then he gives us two backup verses. If that's not enough, he quotes one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. Old Testament, Deuteronomy 25, 4 says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And then I've already referred to Luke 10, 7. The laborer is worthy of his wages. I think Paul's meaning here in Galatians 6, 6 does include financial remuneration. But I also believe that we cannot restrict the meaning here 
either to just financial support or just to the office of the pastor teacher. If we might rightly believe that that's what he's trying to say. I believe we can take this and expand it a little bit further. So not only is he talking about financial remuneration for pastor teachers, but I think he also means when he says to share in all good things with the one who teaches, it also includes telling your teachers about what God is doing in your life as a result of what they're teaching you. Let me say that again. It could also include telling your teachers about what God is doing in your life as a result of their teaching. Or perhaps it might also include, and I know this is a novelty in this society, showing gratitude and encouragement by a visual representation of your appreciation for their hard work. Or just defending them when they teach the truth even when others try to attack them. When I thought about that, I thought of how can I crystallize this in our minds? And so I was looking at many of my illustration books and I think the one I got this out of uh, is when I used it in Bible college. So yeah, 50 years ago. Okay, so yes, (laughs) still tight and true. But here's an example from a pastor and his story about this verse. This pastor recalls when he first came across this verse as a young believer. He remembered as he thought about it that there had been many in his past who had taught him the truth of the gospel despite him consistently having rejected what they had said. Sounds familiar. This pastor grew up believing in work salvation. But despite his heretical views, God had placed godly teachers in his life. Later in his life, after having believed the truth of the gospel, and as he thought about Galatians 6.6, he was convicted that he should contact those who had consistently and lovingly taught him the truth. So guess what? He says, who can I think about it? And so he pulled out an address of a very old lady in his church from a long time ago named Rose Bailey. You see, Rose Bailey had pulled him aside one Sunday morning as a child and explained to him that he cannot earn God's love and that we don't have to because he saves us by his grace on account of what Jesus did on the cross. So this pastor wrote a lengthy letter. Okay, maybe now we would send an email or whatever, okay? He sent a rather lengthy letter to Rose Bailey explaining about how God had saved him and how she had played a major role in this process. He was then pleasantly surprised to find out that not only was she still alive. 
when she wrote him back telling him how she had prayed for him and how excited she was about how God had done that in his life. She also let the pastor know that she had shared his letter with everyone in her little church and that it had been a great encouragement to them all. You see, that is one of many examples found throughout the household of God to encourage us as believers. I am 100% confident with my next statement. I am sure if I individually asked you all in this congregation, you would have stories just like this. I remember me, there was a lady that was probably 85 at the time and she was in the child evangelist, Mrs. Orr. We all have stories like that. But I can also tell you as a teacher of God's word that I love to hear how God is working in your lives as a result of your teaching ministry. Okay, let me say that again. But I can also tell you as a teacher of God's word that I love to hear about how God is working in your life as a result of your teaching ministry, whether that's to your own family, whether it's at work, whether it's at church, your neighborhood, etc. We want to hear the exciting things God is doing in your teaching ministry to bless this church. It is one of the most encouraging things that God loves to hear from the household of faith. So, when we're sowing and reaping, I think first of all, we need to share in all things to those who have impacted us in our faith. Share in all things, a habitual habit. But secondly, as we will see in the next two verses, and here's the second part, we are to sow in the spirit and not in the flesh. Sow in the spirit and not in the flesh. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows that will he also reap. You see, here Paul warns those who might not want to help support the ministry of the word. That they are simply deceiving themselves and at the same time they're mocking God if we fail to realize that what we reap is because of what we sowed. In my mind, I wonder how many faithful pastor teachers, Sunday school teachers, Sunday school workers, nursery helpers, worship team, ushers, greeters, coffee ministry. If I've forgotten something, fill in the blank. And any other helper for Christ have been underappreciated by congregations who are deceived into thinking that their selfishness will not come back to bite them in the end, who may not even realize 
They are making a mockery of God and his word. Because you know in the end, it is God himself and his word that we are undervaluing and underappreciating. You know, apparently such a terrible state affairs were part of the Galatians, right? Okay. The Galatians were doing this due to the influence of false teachers. I can just only imagine how discouraged their true teachers were as they began to lose the support of the congregation. Let us never, ever be like those Galatians. Ever. He, he further described this principle of sowing in the spirit and not in the flesh in verse 8. So let me read verse 8 for you. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on here because Matt so did a wonderful job a couple of weeks ago. But let me just remind you a few things. Sowing to the flesh. Sowing to the flesh means allowing the old nature to have its way in you. And how do we manifest the following behaviors of sowing in the flesh? Well, let me just read part of what Matt preached two weeks ago. And here it is. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Okay, they're not just partly, okay, they're obvious. They're in black and white. Okay, I know I hate the word, oh, there's gray. No, they're not. Okay, give me a break. Okay, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of anger, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envies, drunkenness, orgies, and then if I haven't said it enough, and like. Fill in the blank. Okay. That's when we know we're sowing to the flesh. When those are obvious. And they're going to be obvious to your family real quick, okay? <laughs> You know, I always said, oh, I wasn't an open book. Yeah, except to my family. They could read me like. (laughs) So, okay. In contrast, sowing to the spirit means to allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in us. Again, remember Galatians 5 as Matt preached. He reminded us that we're supposed to be walking in the spirit, being led by the spirit, living by the spirit. All of those verbs, every single one of those verbs are in the present tense, which implies a habitual lifestyle. This manner of life, sowing in the spirit, manifests itself by the fruit of the spirit. And if I don't have to remind you, here they are again. You never can hear them enough. This is how we can manifest walking in the spirit. By love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Whoa. Yeah. Okay. That's how we walk in the spirit. 
So what are the results of either living in the flesh or living in the spirit? Let me go back to verse 8. It reminds us of these results. He who has been sowing to please his flesh will from the harvest field of the flesh, here it is, what we sow we will reap. They're going to reap destruction, decay, and corruption. On the other hand, he who has been sowing to please the Spirit will from the harvest field of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Now, let me make this world plain because I can see people's mind is going to, okay? However, we should never think that Paul intends to say that we somehow earn everlasting life as a result of what we sow, okay? That would be work salvation. I'm not saying that. This would deny everything Paul has taught in this very epistle about how we are justified by grace through faith alone apart from works. But, okay, I love that word, but. But remember that although we are saved by faith alone, I I love when Matt preached because when he, I'm going to make the same statement he made and we had no clue we were going to make the same statement, okay? But remember that although we are saved by faith alone, the faith that saves us is never, ever alone. True saving faith always produces good works in the life of those true believers. True saving faith, faith wrought by the Holy Spirit in our lives, in our hearts, sows to the Spirit rather than to the flesh. And such faith assures us of our heavenly reward. So far in the sowing and reaping, we have established two things so far. Number one, share in all good things. Secondly, sow in the spirit and not in the flesh. Which brings us to the third concept. Such faith never gives up, okay? And I know it doesn't begin with an S, but let me give you a couple of S's. Here's a point. Don't stress out and lose steam, okay? Don't stress out and lose steam. So let's look at Galatians 6, 9, our key verse for the month of August. Here it is, 6, 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. I am very aware, because I had one of those moments just this past week. It is easy for the servant of God to become discouraged. It is. The opposition they meet is so constant. I think sometimes it seems like it's never going to end, right? Okay, we've all had that time, okay? Oh, problem one. Oh, problem two. And we get almost what I call the tsunami of problems. And on top of that, the good that we are trying to do is very hard to accomplish. You know, we battle a world world in quotations, if you could see my notes. We battle a world 
that at every turn tries to throw obstacles in our way. Every once in a while, I like to look at Gallup polls or Barner's polls or whatever I think. And I looked up one of those as I was preparing. Anybody want to guess what the main problem in Christian service is? It's called burnout. It's called burnout. And so how is burnout defined? Well, I'm just going to give you a couple of them. Pretty simple ones, okay? So what is burnout? It's the point at which a pastor, an elder, a ministry leader, a worker gives up, unable or unwilling to continue in the ministry. Okay, let me say it again. The point at which a pastor, elder, minister, leader, worker gives up, unable or willing to continue in the ministry. And then it goes on and says, it is being discouraged when problems occur. It's being discouraged when problems occur. What kind of problems? Well, let me just give you some that I think is going to sound pretty familiar. The loss of a pastor for three and a half years. (laughs) The loss of attendance. The loss of resources. You know, we can all look at our bulletin. We know what it is. The loss of workers. Or it might be personal problems that we each are going through right now. Okay, we can get discouraged. But does Paul mean to indicate that we should never get tired in serving the Lord? I don't think so, okay? Otherwise, why would he say in Matthew eleven twenty eight, come unto me, all ye who are heavy laden, I will give you rest, okay? So no, I don't think so. I think what he's talking about is the kind of weariness here that leads to losing heart or becoming discouraged to the point that we say, oh, my hand's up. I'm out of here. Okay. I love the prayer that Bill prayed in Faith Builders today. Basically what I'm saying, okay? (laughs) You see, if we serve the Lord in such a way that we keep our eyes on the goal, looking unto Jesus, okay, that's that tunnel vision, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our salvation. If we serve the Lord in such a way that we keep our eye on the goal with a faith that doesn't give up on his purposes, and never quits believing that he can and will use our efforts, then we can be assured that we will reap the everlasting life promised in verse 8. So again, so I keep on pounding this. This is one of the things my homiletics class said. You never can get the points enough. So again, we don't forget these principles. Number one, sharing all good things. Two, so in the spirit and not the flesh. Three, don't stress out and lose steam. And finally, in verse 10, we get to serve at every opportunity. Serve at every opportunity. 
Galatians 6.10 says, therefore, okay? I always love those therefore. Therefore what? Okay, therefore and everything else. I just spent the last 30, 40 minutes, 30 minutes preaching, okay? Therefore, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, no wonder Paul has admonished us about the temptation to go weary in doing good. I can see why, right? He expects us, as if I read this right, he expects us to, do, to take advantage of every opportunity to do good to every person we can. Okay, that's exhausting just reading it. I remember when I was in Bible college, I used to listen to this program all the time. It was called the Radio Bible Hour. Uh, I haven't heard it lately, but an illustration by Martin DeHaan. He's one of the main people in the Radio Bible Hour. Gives us this helpful illustration about this. Several years ago in Time Magazine, an article was written about a doctor who lived through the terrible bombing of Hiroshima. Okay, so just paint your picture, okay? Can't get much more terrible than the bombing Hiroshima. So here is this illustration. When the blast occurred, Dr. Fumio Shigeto was waiting for a streetcar only a mile away. But he was sheltered by the corner of a concrete building. So get the picture of the man, okay? It's about a mile away. He's sheltered under a concrete building. Within seconds after the explosion, okay, we've all seen pictures of it, we know. Okay. Within seconds after the explosion, his ears were filled with the screams of victims all around him. Not knowing what had happened, he stood there for a moment bewildered. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's an understatement. One doctor wondering how he could even handle this mountain of patience. Then, still somewhat stunned, Dr. Segato knelt. He opened his black bag and began treating the person nearest to him. You see, when I look at the staggering needs of a dying world, I can easily become overwhelmed. God certainly doesn't expect me to frantically try to help everyone in need. That's too big a burden. A gospel song reflects its anxiety. Everybody that knows me knows I love gospel quartets so this is a gospel quartet song okay it's called somebody bigger than you and i and here's what the third verse says in response to us feeling overwhelmed when i am weary filled with despair who gives me courage to go on from there and who gives me faith that will never die somebody bigger than you 
and I. You see, when you are faced with the needs of a distressing world, don't despair. All God asks is that you do what you can. Okay, let me read it again. Therefore, as we have what? Opportunity. Yes, as verse 10 says, we must do all the good we can for whoever we can. But here's where I want us to focus, because I think sometimes we forget this part of the verse. We just kind of gloss over it. But you see at the end of verse 10, Paul gives us a qualifier. Okay, he gives us a qualifier. He says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all And here's the qualifier, especially to those in the household of faith, our spiritual family. I'm going to talk pretty blunt right now to the spiritual family here, okay? Because that's where we need to focus. Another Gaither song said it this way. It's called the family of God. His verse says, In that song, the family of God says, you will notice we say brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and these are so near. When one has a heartache, we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. This is what verse 10 says about the family of God. This means that as we set our priorities, our commitments to the welfare of our brothers and sisters in Christ, they should come first in our thinking. Now, before anybody says, ooh, and although we must never let our commitment to the body of Christ cause us to become so inwardly focused that we lose sight of our evangelistical testimony the world around us. Okay, I am perfectly aware that we have needs in the world. But I think so many often we forget the people here. And I could spend the next 30 minutes going over the needs here. We got lots of them, okay? We got people who have lost precious loved ones like Jim and Roy. Cindy who just lost her brother people that are going through surgery, okay? You, you can read your bulletin. So we never, yeah. So let me say, and although we must never let our commitment to the body of Christ cause us to become so inwardly focused that we lose sight of our evangelistic testimony, the world around us, neither, neither should we neglect our primary obligation to the body of Christ. John Brown. A 19th century Scottish commentator said this in reflection to verse 10 when somebody asked him about, what does it mean to be especially in the household of faith? And here's what he said. Every distressed man has a claim on me for pity. And if I can afford it for active exertion. But a Christian has a far stronger claim on my feelings and my labors. 
He is my brother, equally interested in the blood of my Redeemer. I expect to spend an eternity with him in heaven. For a Christian to neglect his fellow believers is not only wrong, it's monstrous. It's my prayer that that will never ever be so, that we will remember verse 10 in its entirety. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are in the household of faith. In closing, I hope we will all remember that we will reap what we sow in whatever manner is displayed. Remember, it doesn't matter whether we're using sickles or reapers. And how we sow in this respect, whether it's the flesh or the spirit, is a very good indicator of whether or not we are true believers who can have the assurance of everlasting life. So, remember four things. Number one, share in all good things. Remember, that's a habitual lifestyle. Tell the people that have impacted your life what they mean to you because it might be too late otherwise. Number two, sow in the spirit and not in the flesh. Number three, don't stress out and lose stream. Here's a promise that we need to finish. God is not finished with us yet, okay? He's not finished with us yet. He has not come back the second time. And finally, serve at every opportunity, especially the household of faith. May God give us the strength to fulfill these aspects of sowing and reaping. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you've heard these words. You know what they mean. You know how we can take each one of these to heart, Lord. My first prayer is that if you're not part of the household of faith, that you will be. But number two, let us remember our practical jobs in this process of never losing faith and meeting the needs of a world that needs you and a congregation that's hurting, Lord. In Jesus' most holy name, amen. Will you stand with us as we sing our, the faithfulness of God to us?